Jake's fired. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm Grant. <laughs> so weird to start off that way. I'm Grant. Uh, I'm the downtown campus pastor of Compassion Christian Church, and I'm so excited just to, to be with you this evening. We're continuing and kind of winding down our series, defining who we are as a, a church, as Compassion Christian Downtown. We've had a lot of transitions over the last couple of weeks, moving from the Lucas Theater to the Savannah Theater, changing our name, changing our pastors, changing everything. And we know you guys love change, so we're just going to hold it for a little bit to save some energy to change a ton of stuff later. We're thinking about changing the name again and some other things, too. Not true. But anyways, what we're talking about this evening as we continue our series on what does it mean to be a church that is compassionate is what does it mean to look and live in community. And I believe that compassion is a huge element of living in community. But there's a lot of things wrong with community. So the three things that I want to kind of draw our attention to this evening are, one, where did community go wrong? What happened that broke down individual relationships, but also relationships as a group of people? Two, what does a, a Christ-centered view of community look like? What does it look like to be designed and have community where Christ is the center? And third, what are some of the things that prevent community? What are some of the sins, some of the attributes of our flesh that prevent us from being in relationship with each other? Now, some of you would say, you know, community's not that hard because in the back of my mind, I'm always asking, why is community so difficult? Why are relationships so difficult? But some of you say, no, I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of community and I, I do a lot of things together. But I would argue that just doing things together doesn't constitute having community. Now, I'm going to give you an example of what I believe kind of triggers some of this. Jeff asked you to turn to the person next to you and share with them what you're doing for, for Labor Day. If you didn't, then, or you're late, please share with the person next to you what you're doing for Labor Day. <laughs> it's a simple thing, simple request. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you. It may be your husband, your wife, your friend, your mom, your dad. It doesn't matter. And I'm going to ask you to share what has been the deepest struggle that you've had this week in your soul. I don't see a lot of people turning. Even though you're married or maybe you're in a relationship, why? Because real community, community that Christ has designed is difficult because we don't like to portray our true selves. You see, even in that simple exercise, it could have been your husband, your wife, your friend, it doesn't matter, even the stranger. I bet if I ask all of you to talk to a stranger and tell them your deepest, darkest desires or fears or whatever, it would be difficult. You see, the world has transformed our view of community. It's made it very digital. A lot of us see community behind a screen. How many friends you have on Facebook, how many retweets you get, how many of these things. And we've turned community into something that cre creates isolation and loneliness. I was looking this up for, for the sermon and I looked up, there's 83 these are just the top, the top 83 online communities who have a million plus online users. Some of them have a billion. Google Plus, Facebook, Twitter, Bebo, VampireFreaks.com. Yeah, that, was, that weirded me out too. There's millions and millions of people that are meeting together as vampires. But we have this relationship with each other that is just a pseudo-relationship. 
Now, hear me, I'm not saying that social media is evil, but so many times in our world, in our culture, in our lives as human beings, we take something that can be used for good and we distort it and abuse it and it becomes something that either consumes or replaces God. And that's what social media has done. Now, I have a social media. If you want to follow me, at G-S-K-O-S, G-S-K-O-S, on Instagram or Twitter, you can. Got to get my likes up. Seriously, you can follow me. That's it. It's the real one. But sadly, so many of our relationships or our pseudo-relationships become when we're sitting behind a keyboard with thousands or 3,000 or 500 of our closest friends isolated and alone. We don't know what it means to be in community anymore. Is this what God's designed for us? Is this what the perfect triune God has designed for us as believers in Christ? Perfect in community, perfect in love? I would argue not. I've been reading this book um, recently, and it's really helped me kind of reshape how I think and view community. And I'm going to read a couple excerpts from this throughout the sermon, but it's, it's by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and it's Life Together. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was um, a, a pastor in the time of World War II. He's actually died in a concentration camp uh, when he was 39 years old. But this is what he says and what we quickly forget about community. Because the reality is it's a gift. He says, it's true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for lonely individuals is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that fellowship of Christian brethren, brothers and sisters, is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God, that any day may be taken away from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. You see, God, perfect in every form and fashion, three in one, one of the complexities and paradox of our time to understand, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next couple of weeks, what does it mean to have three in one, perfect in community, perfect in love, and out of that perfect love and perfect community, he created man and woman, different roles, but equal in value, no pain, no division, no pride, perfect. So what went wrong? See, the problem is, just as Adam and Eve in the garden, so many of us enter into relationship as demanders. We demand something. When Adam and Eve, Eve eating the apple because Adam's passivity, we entered into a relationship with God and each other as demanders. Did you know one of the main reasons people choose churches or choose to leave churches is based on musical preference? Basically what that means is how you feel in a moment about a song. People are choosing different churches based on that. It's ridiculous. How someone preaches or teaches or, or, or some of these things. And we're choosing it because we enter into relationship as demanders. Even now as I'm speaking to you, I have demands that I have on you. 
Because in my flesh, I cannot fight always these demands. Maybe it's to pay attention or to listen or for the word of God to speak to your ears to be open. And you is the same. Maybe you don't like my shirt. Maybe you don't like the way I speak or look or different things. Or you don't like this theater. It's dark. The lights are everywhere. The sound, the music, whatever. We come as demanders and we enter every single relationship as demanders. That's what went wrong. Now I'm going to give you uh, just a freebie. Here's a freebie. If you enter into any relationship, a marriage, a dating relationship as a demander, and you continue in that path, the marriage, the relationship will fail. So many times we forget that. Easy, simple way to think about it is, ladies, remember when you first dated your, your husband or, or, or your significant other or whatever, and you were like, man, they were so sweet, they were so... Caring, compassion, what happened? They won what they had, and they started to become a demander. And you in that relationship demand as well. You see, human love constructs its own image of the other person. We construct in our hearts what we want that person to be, what they want them to look like, what they want to, who we want them to become. We take their life from them. But spiritual, Christ-centered love recognizes the true image of other people, which he has received from Jesus Christ, the image that Jesus Christ himself would embody and would stamp upon all men and women. See, the problem is in our flesh, we look at people and we demand things. In every single relationship, be it a, a, a romantic relationship, personal relationship, whatever, a relationship even with God, we demand things. But this is what happened when Paul wrote the letter to Philippians, and I'm so thankful that, that Katie just divided the word for us earlier, but we're, we're going to kind of dive into Philippians 2. It says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pause there for a second. The way to destroy a life that is demanding, or relationships that are demanding, is to think of others better than yourself. One of the reasons that our world is so homogeneous, homogeneous in, in, in different ways, different neighborhoods look similar, different schools look similar, different churches look similar. All these things look similar because the demands that they put and they make are the same demands that we have. And we start to create barriers and, and social constructs based on our demands. You know why it's so hard to live life with others? Because we want to elevate ourselves. You don't have anything that I can take from you. You have nothing that you can offer me in this relationship. I don't need to be in you. Maybe they're annoying. Maybe they're not in the same socioeconomic class. Maybe they don't look like you. Maybe they don't talk like you. Whatever the demand is, the foundation of community as individuals begins to be destroyed when pride enters into the scenario. You see, pride divides us and it keeps us separated. God only recognizes one division. 
between believers and unbelievers, sheep and goat. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to be in community with people that don't believe in Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm telling you the only division in this world that God recognizes is people that don't believe and people who believe, not between different denominations, not between different races, not between different ethnicities. God only recognized that division. Any other division is sin. Hear me on this. Even in this square right now, there's two other churches who are gracious and kind and compassionate towards us. They're going to come and they're going to preach and teach here. Why? Because the body of Christ is important. Because the only division that God recognizes is between believers and unbelievers. You see, the, the construct is already divided right at the beginning. This is what Paul is writing to the Philippians. Now, a little history about the Philippians. The Philippians are similar. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about America, but they're very similar to America in their bravado. You see, the Philippians were a gift. Philippi was a gift because uh, I believe Mark Anthony won a battle and it was given Philippi. You know, et tu brute, that guy. He was given Philippi as a gift. So what that meant is they received all the benefits and glory of being a Roman citizen in Roman Empire, even though they were really far away, closer to Turkey. So they had citizenship. They had all the legal rights. They had all the relational rights. They had all these things. They were Roman citizens. They were more proud of being Philippians than they were in Christ. And this is why Paul is writing them this letter, because already community was beginning to be destroyed. That's why he writes, do not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look up to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is where everything flips on its head. Who, though, was the very form of God? Who was God? did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and everything, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. You know what the ultimate example of not thinking of your own interests, the ultimate example of not thinking of yourself better than others is when God comes in human form and humbles himself to be a servant, but not just a servant, because a servant shows that he elevates himself below us, that he descends below us, that he thinks of us more important, God himself. But even more so, even more just magnificent is him humbling himself to the point of death. So that is what Paul is writing in the beginning of this section of what does it mean to care and love for each other and not think of each other greater than the other. Is when we look at Jesus and we see that he humbled himself even to the point of death. That's where perfect community is formed. That's where perfect community is enacted and realized but it's so hard for us in our flesh to even understand and see what Jesus Christ the God man did that's why Paul is reminding the Philippians about this and I am reminding you now of what it means to be humbled 
Because out of humility, community flourishes. It's so hard, even for me and my flesh, to even understand how this works. Because sometimes, even in my humility, there's still an aim or a goal or a position that I'm trying to acquire and achieve at the end of the day. And I really don't believe that perfect community will ever come to fruition outside of heaven. But Christ commands us to live and to love one another. So what does it look like for us to be in community? You see, a Christocentric view of community looks a lot like what Bonhoeffer writes later in the book when he says Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it's a brief single encounter or a daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. You see, if the vertical relationship isn't restored, individually your relationship is not restored through Jesus Christ with the Father, then you will have discord, not just between God and man, but between each other. It's just a reality. It's very difficult to have relationship, a Christ-centered relationship that we were designed for outside of Jesus. It's impossible. Because one, we're demanders. We demand a lot of things in relationship. We demand a lot of things of ourselves that Christ doesn't even demand. Now, this section might be a little difficult to, to hear and understand, but I have to talk about this. One of the number one things that destroys community is self-righteousness and piety. Self-righteousness allows no one to be a sinner. And it's something that Christians do very well. As a culture and as a society, we project on this world demands that Jesus Christ doesn't even demand for us. You see, as Christians, we say, don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And we create this works-based righteousness, and we build ourselves to hide ourselves behind these filters. I was, I, I, it boggles my mind. I was looking on Facebook, and I was looking at this couple, and, and for, for protection's sake, I won't even say any of their names or who they are, but they look so happy. They're taking pictures on the beach, dresses are flowing, hair is perfectly combed, and you talk to them, and their marriage is in shambles, and they're on the brink of divorce, and I say, how is this happening? Your life on Facebook looks so beautiful. And you like, you don't understand what's really going on. And for a lot of us, we project a false sense of self, a false sense of self-righteousness, where we don't even allow ourselves struggle. You see, the fact is we're all sinners, and the grace of the gospel is really hard for people who are self-righteous to understand. I first fully realized this probably about two or three years ago when kind of God really just woke me up. And it happened in a relationship in my family when I was dealing with a, a family member and it was so frustrating and so difficult and so hard. And just out of utter frustration and what I would say sin, I said, there's no way that person is ever going to become a Christian. There's no way. 
Almost like, why am I wasting my time? There's no way God can save that person. Now, every single one of us, if you're honest with yourself, has that same reality. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker, a friend. We thought it. And in that moment, God revealed to me just how broken and sinful I am. He said, how dare you? You were no better before you knew Christ. And he took it even a step further, and he says, you're no better now. Just because you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ does not make you any better. And I saw that in my heart, I was elevating myself, and in my pride and my self-righteousness, I said, I'm not like them. And I realized that even in my heart, I'd started to begin and destroy community. You see, the breakthrough in community happens with confession and repentance. When I can come on stage and I can tell you I struggle, I'm a struggler. I don't always love my wife well. I don't always discipline my my kids correctly. I don't always want to help the person in the square. I don't always have an answer. I don't, sometimes I don't want to see people at church because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help you. I don't know what to do. And so I just avoid you and I'm not very good at prayer. I hate being alone. I don't like to sit alone with God because I I, I feel like sometimes he's not there and I don't like to be alone, so I'd rather pray with five people than by myself with the king of kings. I'm a pastor. I'm a professional. The reality is this, I'm just a professional struggler. I haven't made the best decisions. I haven't done the right things. The reality for me is that I, I know that I need Jesus every day. And so many times I forget because I think I've got it. Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. I got it. I'm a redeemed and forgiven sinner. I got it. He forgives me. But so many times I don't understand how to embrace his forgiveness. And I turn to shame. So many times I don't know how to repent because I don't want to repent. And I see my flesh welling up in me. It's not the world. It's not demons. not Satan. It's me. I'm not going to blame somebody else for my sin and my flesh. And when I'm not allowed to tell you about it, it's where sin flourishes in the darkness. And what we've done as a community and as a society and as a church, as we said, it's not okay to share our problems. It's not okay to share our sin because if I share my sin, then I, I, I don't have any authority anymore to be here or to talk or to be in this group or lead a life group or do this. And we're messy people. You see, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned when confession and repentance flourishes. When my identity is in Jesus, I don't care what you think about my sermon. I don't care what you think about the music. I don't care that it's a little dark in here and that the sound's a little loud and all these things because my identity doesn't fluctuate with the wind. But my identity is found in Jesus Christ, and that's where I can come to you as brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I struggle. As your pastor, as your friend, as your leader, I struggle. And when we can confess and repent, even openly and publicly, then community can begin to build itself. When I don't become to you as a demander, demanding something out of you, community begins to flourish. You see, these things are what prevent community. Community is prevented when pride wells up in us. So what does it mean? 
Paul continues, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in the presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do nothing without grumbling or dispute, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom shines a light in this world. Hold fast to the word of life, so that the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run and labor in vain. Working out our salvation, honoring Christ, Living in community comes in and through Jesus Christ only. One of the problems we have as a community is we don't know what it means to be in community. The world sees the church, they see us, and they're like, I don't want to be a part of that. They're so busy hiding who they really are. They're so busy struggling. They're, they're hypocrites. They're this, they're this, they're that. So many times people go to the bars and they go to these, and I'm not saying bars are bad. I'm saying they go to bars, they go to sporting events, they go to things so they can feel like they can be who they really are. But why can't we as a community, as a beacon of hope, be a vortex for Savannah? of what God designed in real community where people can come and share life together. Life groups, we have to construct things like this because we are so far from God's design and what it looks like to be in community that we have to socially construct things in the church where God's just saying, follow me. Look at me, the incarnate God. Be incarnate, come. It's crazy how Jesus started with the incarnation. He didn't start with the conversation or the confrontation. He didn't say, you are all sinners. He came incarnate, lived life for 30 years. Then he started to have conversation, and then the confrontation came. And then the conversion. So many times in our lives, we start with the confrontation because we're so afraid to live life with each other. Why not look at the perfect example of community through and in Jesus Christ? I'm going to finish with this and I'm going to pray, but I want you to remember this. When confession of sin happens, when you stop demanding of others and of yourself and truly become free in Jesus Christ, the last stronghold of your self-justification, your identity in how amazing you are, it's abandoned. When I confess sin to you, I have, nothing, I have no leg to stand on. But it's a, it's a beautiful place to stand. Because Jesus Christ is the one holding me up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. That, that 13 years ago, you brought me into community. Lord, now, I don't always get it right. I know that I, I struggle, that I, in my pride, break down community on a lot of different levels. That I don't always think of others better than myself.
Lord, that, that, that I don't have the same mind. But I thank you that it's a process and I'm learning and I'm growing and you're sanctifying me in having the same mind. But I'm, that I'm already perfect in Jesus. This weird paradox where because Jesus traded his debt for mine, that Jesus gave me his full righteousness in a great exchange and took my debt and my demands on the cross. I can live free. That I can actually have true and real community because Jesus, you saved me. I pray that for every person in this room that they don't just see the gospel as an entrance or, or, or a gate to get into heaven, but rather as a daily thing of learning to preach the gospel to themselves daily. Lord, because I know that as I demand from my children and from my wife and my, my friends, my, my family, that I so quickly forget the gospel. I so quickly forget you emptying yourself and serving even to the point of death. Lord, in you setting the example for us on how to love and cherish other brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, I thank you. I pray for every heart in this room 